Welcome to Europarama, the border-breaking podcast about science fiction and the future of Europe, brought to you by Are We Europe? I'm Giuseppe Porcaro. I'm Alberto Cottica. And I'm Emilia Hassoun. And for this season, Europarama joins forces with Edge Riders and their science fiction economic club as they had an incredible idea. Instead of writing academic papers, they decided to channel out-of-the-box economic thinking around building the fictional world of Witness. In each episode, we explore a part of this universe as it's being created, and you will learn more about how you can also contribute to its making, as this is an open-source world that everyone can use. For those who may have joined the podcast only now, Witness is a fictional city floating in a post-climate change planet Earth where people are organized by districts, each experimenting a different social contract and a different economic model. But all of them connected by being constrained in that floating space. Today, we will travel to Witness with Alberto and Amelia. Amelia is an anthropologist from the University of Oxford who uses ethnography to study how people imagine the future. People think about ethnography spelled with E-T-H-N-O-G and so on. The very topic of this episode is quite special because instead of traveling into a district or digging into the history of witness, what we are going to do is to try to explain a completely new fields of studies which has been created within the world of witness. This fields of study is called ethnography, you will see in the title of this episode. I have to admit that even if I am a social scientist myself, I'm a political geographer, I have very, very little knowledge of such a new field of studies. So I really have to rely to you, Alberto and Amelia, to understand uh, what exactly is this and why you had the imagination of inviting a new field of studies for witness. Obviously, just uh, for our listeners that are more in touch with science fiction literature, that's not the first time that in a science fiction world there is a new field of study which is invented. One of the most famous one is psychohistory in the trilogy of Foundation of Isaac Asimov. That's definitely an interesting exercise that you're doing, which uh, completely gets into the canon of science fiction world building. Alberto, maybe you can kick off and explain what exactly was the motive of creating a new field of studies for the specifics of witness and what exactly is being used for. Recall how in witness we basically build these worlds and we try to make them credible by using storytelling. If we can build a story that leads to the formation of witness itself or a certain district, then we are on the right track. Also recall that in witness there are a lot of economic systems widely different from the one that we are living through right now that are being experimented at the same time. As we consider this, that was already a major inconsistency because then we had to tell a story that said the economists of a central bank went full on commons-based peer production, and that sounded very, very false. In fact, the very premise on which the Science Fiction Economics Lab was born is that we cannot have this kind of bold discourse in uh, economics departments anymore. So that led to the idea of a new social science, ethnography. It's very different from ethnography, and I don't have to kind of color my initial letter in, in a different way. It's quite unambiguous. It's economics as it should be. It's as if in witness, ethnography plays more or less the same role that economics plays in our world. 
In other words, economics is an academic discipline, as we know that is taught at universities and people do PhDs and whatever, but it is also the way of thinking that runs the world. It is a unique social science economics in the sense that you can be a professor one day, and then the next day you can find yourself leading the International Monetary Fund. That's what happened to George Stiglitz, for example, that went to Nobel laureate, chief economist of the International Monetary Fund, who is the guy that was managing the crisis of debt in 98 in, in Asian countries in the International Monetary Fund. So that kind of thing doesn't happen to historians. It doesn't happen to anthropologists. It only happens to economists. In witness, we have this penchant for, for experimentation and radical innovation. And then we imagined that only made sense in the context of a different way of knowing, which is not the one of economics. And so we imagined this discipline called ethnography, which is a mixture of several things. We can go into it if you want. The last thing I would like to say now is that the psychohistory reference is spot on, and there is a, a fantastic quote by Paul Krugman, who said on Twitter three months ago, well, yeah, exactly, you know, I became an economist because I read the Foundation Trilogy, and the psychohistory was not available, but economic was the closest thing that I could find, and so I became an economist. And there you have it. That's super interesting. But when you say this ethnography is somehow replacing economy, it would be great to give a definition about uh, what exactly it's covering as field of studies. I mean, this definitely from the first thing that you're telling me, it's quite pervasive within the society, not just in the intellectual field, but also in the practical applications. And what is the link to make us relatable to our own fields of studies? And what are the differences? Sure. So the link between ethnography and the fields of study that you might think of right now. I mean, it takes a lot of inspiration from ethnography, of course, and anthropology itself. What that does is allow you to look at the social structures that are in place, like the way that people interact socially, and even from an economics perspective, like how their economic decision making arises out of the specifics of their social and cultural context. The other thing that Alberto and I have talked about quite a lot over the years, because I'm an anthropologist who uses ethnography, and he is an economist and a network scientist who has been reading a lot of anthropology, is the fact that anthropologists are what we like to call epistemological opportunists. And that kind of comes from, just to get more into the witness side of things, this idea of the pluriversity, which is really central to the kind of ethnography that's done in witness. So this idea that there isn't this like supreme kind of discipline, like economics, for example, that has this purchase on the method and the way of finding out what the right answer is, right? The idea idea is that you can look to a lot of different disciplinary approaches to find out what's going on and to produce knowledge. And you can do this on multiple levels, which is also a kind of key concept of ethnography as it is in witness. The idea that you have kind of like super applied ethnography, which is something that you do on the ground. You have the kind that we think of right now in the university where you're dealing with theory and you have a sort of in-between where you're going into the community to find things and come out. And I'm sure Alberto will talk about this a bit more later. To loop back to the question itself, it is very similar to the ethnography that anthropologists undertake right now, but a lot less siloed. So when we think about ethnography in the context of anthropology, it's a very individualistic discipline. The way that it works in anthropology right now is a lone researcher usually goes out into the field, does their data collection, comes back to the university, writes it up, puts it in a book or a monograph or a journal article, and kind of mirroring the project of wits itself like you were introducing it, rather than going out and producing kind of an academic article, the idea is that this is a much more involved in the world kind of discipline. 
within witness. Going back to the word building part of the story, because what we are exploring in our season is the word building part, especially. How does this discipline help your imagination within your construction, I suppose, the knowledge production on one hand and on the other hand I suppose the setup of institutions and and the social contract on one hand the discipline is a knowledge producer but on the other hand is also an approach a lens to the way you build the world and you see it unfolding well it helps you by freeing your mind it is very clear that in order to be an economist you have to exclude a lot of possible states of the world for example economists investigate the social world but they do it with a method that consists of formulating hypotheses and then testing the hypothesis and that means that they are normally blind to stuff that is not contemplated by their hypothesis itself There is even a famous article by a dissenting economist, Albert Hirschman, who was a super famous. In the 70s, he even wrote an article called, I may misquote, but the gist of it is, on paradigms as an obstacle to knowing how things actually work. And so his critique to his fellow economists was they could go into the world and then have such a strong intellectual edifice in their head that it filtered almost everything, including almost everything of interest and value. And the reason why Hirschman, unlike other economists, uh, didn't have this problem is that Hirschman started out as one of the pioneers of development economics. He formulated the origin for this article, the original intuitions, by going out in the world and looking for development projects that needed to be evaluated. And he found that the static methods of cost-benefit analysis that normally would be used back in the day, it was 1960s, 1970s, they did not allow for unexpected positive results that were coming from different directions. For example, you started a scheme for hiring a number of people in order to build a railway. And that failed. However, the people that had been involved in the failed railway then formed a fishing cooperative 10 years later that became the biggest employer in the same place. Using the freedom of mind of anthropologists and economic anthropologists, you can look at the same phenomena, but you can do it with a more flexible attitude in terms of how do you know things and what are important things to know. When you speak about uh, this kind of, in the end of the day, some sort of reductionist approach no, of the economists, because they need to rationalize, there is a complexity over there, and they recognize that the world is complex, but then in order to be able to manipulate data and, and so on, they need to narrow it down, as you say. What is the relationship in ethnography between quantitative research and qualitative research, for example? Because to me, one of the main tensions that they are, even within different strands of economy, is exactly this fact that in the moment when you are bringing in quantitative analysis, then by definition you need to oversimplify, even though one might also object, because nowadays with big data and so on, you might start to say that what Before you had to have a reductionist approach, nowadays you might be able not to uh, calculate multiple variables at the same time. So how do you play this role in ethnography? What kind of research is, is made over there? 
I see ethnography as coming from three different directions. We've talked a lot about anthropology because it's where the idea came from, but there's at least two more. One is the, today we would say complexity sciences. Economics try to be born as a complexity science. The wealth of nations is basically that. The invisible hand is an emergent property. It is not something that you can easily arrive at with a reductionist approach. There is a famous book written by an economist, David Colander, and a physicist, Roland Cooper, that brings forth this thesis and it says that uh, economics was meant to be something closer to what today we believe ethnography is in witness, but then got stuck because of the limited uh, mathematical prowess of the academia of that time, between the 1880s and the 1920s, the passage between Marshall and Pigou, what the first People started to make this kind of back of the envelope calculation. Let's imagine that everybody's rational. Let's imagine that everybody's just like maximizing on these curves that are, you know, differentiable and continuous and they are nice, well-behaved mathematically. In the beginning, it was meant to be like a kind of provisional thing. But then there was a switch solidified into some kind of orthodoxy. One of the sources is economics as what it wanted to be. And the other one is data science. And again, data science, you can use it to investigate several phenomena, some of which are eminently social. The reason why Amelia and I know each other is that we've been developing a methodology that combines graphs and ethnography. So it's not quantitative in the same sense that a census is quantitative. That's not what it is. But it is mathematical. And so ethnographers use plenty of quantitative research. But the difference is that they are not uh, Newtonians in the sense that they don't think they're dealing with some kind of fundamentally true entities that need to be counted and arranged into beautiful mathematical constructions. They are doing mathematics the way modern physicists are, back of the envelope, scribbled, you know, that's more or less right. It's more about a certain type of model that uh, produces a recurrent pattern rather than predicting an exact number. I'm turning to Amelia here. If you would like to describe a bit more concretely how exactly the discipline evolves inside Witness. Is there like different schools? Uh, is there an orthodoxy which is challenged by other people? Or is there like different roles within the discipline? Just to get a bit more the idea of how it operates within in the witness world. Yeah, definitely. Just to pick up a little bit very briefly on the last question, I think Alberto, the quote that's at the very beginning of the witnesspedia entry for ethnography is telling because it's don't look at the data, look through the data and at the people behind it. And I think that really sums up what Alberto was getting at. I want to come back actually to the concept of the pluriversity, which I touched on before, which actually comes from Akil Mbembe's decolonizing knowledge and the question of the archive, because I think this helps to answer the question about witness, because the pluriversity is really central to the way that ethnography developed over time in witness itself. And the pluriversity is the way that Mbembe describes it, not merely the extension throughout the world of a Eurocentric model presumed to be universal and now being reproduced everywhere thanks to commercial interest 
internationalism, but actually a process of knowledge production that's open to epistemic diversity. So it means that even though the way that ethnography is written right now in Witness, there are some shared genealogical consistencies that a lot of ethnographers recognize, that ethnographers can trace their own genealogy in different places, and they can be focused and interested in different parts of ethnography itself. So again, at the very beginning, I touched on the fact that there were three general, again, these are general types of ethnographers, because a lot of ethnographers are interested in and will end up doing all three kinds, but we have them divided into theors, which are the kind of ethnographers that reflect on general patterns, like cross-domain intuition, that kind of thing. So more like high theoretical stuff. Then we have this second level, which is people called augurs. Again, this is all written, so it's hard for us to pronounce it (laughs) in speech, so we're learning here, but these are people who are trying to go kind of like ethnographers do in the field right now. So I have a research question. I'm interested in understanding a social or an economic phenomenon. I'm going to go to a specific place and try to figure out what's going on here. And then I might go back and I'll write it up and I'll use a diversity of different social science approaches to do this because I'm not locked into a single discipline, which is one of the kind of central principles of ethnography itself. And then the last one is what we might call applied anthropology now, but with a lot more kind of teeth to it in Witness, which is like people who are like, forget the ivory tower, which doesn't exist in Witness, it's the broken tower. And we can talk about that as well. But they're like, I don't want to be in research institutions. I want to be directly affecting the way that life is happening on the ground. I want to be creating more just or fair economic models. I want to be basically directly intervening in life. And I'm going to use my training to do that, right? I'm going to use my understanding of how social phenomena develop and and how inequality happens and all of these things, but to make action very directly in the world itself. These three kinds of categories, tears, augurs, and Encanters. Encanters. Wow. The names are so charged of a lot of references, so I like it a lot. Somehow also sets some sort of social status for these people. It seems to me that those play quite an important role in this society, not just as knowledge production, but also like the social status of, of these people seems to be part of the character buildings as well within Witness. Absolutely. Well, the idea with ethnography, one thing that sets it apart from all the disciplines that we've been talking about, except economics interestingly, is that you don't get to be in the ivory tower and blame the people outside of it for not applying your theories well. Neither do you get to be working on the field or making policy and blaming the theoreticians for being disconnected from reality. So if you are an ethnographer in witness, your career means that you have to fulfill all of these roles, and not at the same time, of course, but over time. It is completely possible that you will be doing field analysis, so it will be more like an ogre kind of figure for a while, and then you take up a position in some government agency, so that will make you an encounter, and then you build some kind of theoretical intuition when you go back to academia proper and are a theor for a while. And the ethos of the discipline is that people are supposed to keep rotating, to keep contaminating themselves. If you specialize too much, there is a kind of passing the buck phenomenon, where you don't take full responsibility for what the discipline as a whole is doing. It's a knowledge system that is quite generalist to a certain extent. It is generalist in the precise sense that ethnography is a way of knowing and understanding social behavior, which is aimed at transforming it. And so you judge your results as a discipline, both on the knowing and on the transformation. One of the things that I saw on your Witnesspedia page when describing ethnography, the closest and easier definition that you have is the study of the behavior of humans engaged in mutual interaction. When you 
told me, Alberto, that this is like the most similar thing to economy that you have in witness, it reminded me the definition of economy from Polanyi, which uh, basically defines economy through relations. It's a very relational science, probably not the most standard definition of economy that we have nowadays. How much on this relational science that you're bringing over there is part of the overall philosophy of witness Everything is about social contract, everything is about the relationship that humans are building. So you are kind of refounding economy in witness. That's your goal as Science Fiction Economic Lab. I would like to just launch it over there, like how much of all this then is going to be gathered and brought back to our reality. Well, I just wanted to definitely get to talk about how anthropology is already really invested in this idea of imagining futures and also point out that a lot of science fiction writers are very informed by anthropology. So I don't know if you know this, but both of Ursula K. Le Guin's parents were anthropologists and her science fiction is often called anthropological science fiction because it's really invested in doing this very rigorous work of understanding and putting forth not only imaginative futures, but in the same way that Econ SF does, like rigorous rigorously making sure that those systems would make sense in terms of their engagement and interaction and what would actually happen so that we can use them as models for futures, but also both cautionary and positive, right? And you say, okay, if this were to happen, what would human beings do in this situation? Even if we're in this sort of outlandish future world, what would those dynamics look like? What economic systems could they create? How could they implement them? And what problems would they face? And to go back to your question about if it's just a generalist approach, the point more is that it's a rigorous methodological approach that isn't just like anything could happen in any particular way because human beings do follow patterns in their decision making that even though they don't necessarily follow like rational behaviors in the way that kind of a more old school economics theorization of rationality might treat it, you know, they do follow patterns that we trace. And one of the things that Ursula K. Le Guin, for example, is really good at doing is studying what people would do in those contexts and what the implications are for humanity in general and the things that they do. So I think for that reason, this kind of imaginative approach does allow us to bring a lot back to the world that we live in. Absolutely. Alberto, would you like to have a final reflection on ethnography and the system of knowledge production and these other things that we discussed today before we we closed? It's a bit of a sad reflection, maybe, because as an economist, I was the one who pushed hardest for the introduction of ethnography into witness because I couldn't really see my home discipline facilitating transitions as the ones that we have been imagining on witness, which, by the way, are similar to those that await us as a species in the wake of climate change, etc., etc. So we are going to see some interesting stuff in the coming days. In the end, economics has been, since the 1980s, pushing the Stina meme, this there is no alternative, which is the slogan of Margaret Thatcher, but that has been sort of been embedded in what was called the Washington Consensus, which is, yes, it can suck, it can be hard, but in order to get economic growth, there are certain things that you have to do. There is a certain manual that you have to follow. And I do not believe that. And we do not believe that as a science fiction economics lab. We believe that there are plenty of alternatives, but But in order to see them and in order to reach them, you do need a more flexible epistemological stance. You do need a more flexible way to know. Anthropology does have that. And in fact, anthropologists make 
fantastic field analysts because they can go into a situation which is under structure. There's not very many structured data, maybe. You just mentioned Polanyi. So that kind of work is the kind of work that really helps so much, even though I don't think you could get a PhD thesis in economics now if you wrote The Great Transformation, right? That would be completely rejected by the discipline. But what you could do is you could distill knowledge, make sense of it, predictive knowledge even, from things as diverse as the patterns of migration in the 1920s and legal debates on the poor laws in England in the 18th century. And all that made this kind of massive model, which then you can discuss and you can falsify absolutely. But the way that we get there is mind-blowing. Maybe just to conclude on a hopeful, positive note, my impression is that, yes, it's true that disciplines like economics have been very much affected with this kind of mantra that things cannot be changed and so on. I would say that there is an opening given by the circumstances. I would say you mentioned climate change, pandemic and so on. I have the impression that there is a certain need over there recognized that you can't anymore apply the same paradigm that you used to do. And therefore, I think that this is all part of this conversation conversation as well like what you're doing with witness is exactly part of this conversation and i think this conversation is not just limited to science fiction and that's it's great that we can use science fiction for this but i really think that there is a momentum even in mainstream economics at the moment in order to push some of those ideas forward and that's my wish or like at least my positive hopeful note for the end of this i don't know if you both have some elements that can confirm this hope from my side i certainly can i mean i can see what you see too but the value of everything is a ruthless critique of marginalism as applied to the theory of value. She goes back to classical economics. We are talking about a heavy hitter here, a person that has been given a lot of political clout. And so maybe, yes, maybe things are, are really changing now. How fast and how comprehensively, we don't know. You have Nobel Prizes like Esther Duflo as well. I think that there is a discussion back to anthropology and to ethnography. We have been focusing a little bit more on economics because this is a little bit of the daily bread <laughs> for me and Alberto. And therefore, it's not to marginalize other disciplines, but the wall construction that you have over there, like not completely made up, but a fictional new system of knowledge production, which is consistent. You might start ethnography outside the academia and outside the science fiction in the real world. Well, I think the work that we've been doing both with Witness and outside of it have been an intervention into ethnography as a discipline and trying to bring a lot of the principles that we discussed that ethnography has into it. Because for a long time in anthropology, there was a stigma against doing applied anthropology because getting your hands dirty in that way is sort of betraying the at least kind of feign of objectivity that you have at a distance, which thankfully anthropology is evolving a lot and has evolved a lot in recent years to sort of say that doesn't exist. And if you're not actually intervening in the world that you're studying, and if you're producing this knowledge about it, but not intervening in it, then that's a problem especially like you're saying with a lot of the recent issues that have come to light, both in the pandemic and also in terms of like racial inequality and a lot of the things that have been surfacing very, very presently. Although again, these, these things have been around forever. Anthropologists in the academy are recognizing that they can't not get their hands dirty, in air quotes, also because they're complicit in all of this anyway. So you're not an observer, you're a participant observer, and pushes a sort of like a principle of anthropological and ethnographic inquiry. 
And so I think the idea here is, yeah, to put these three kinds of ethnography that we discuss and witness into play in the world and fast track that in the way that it is already kind of happening. I would like to thank so much uh, Amelia and Alberto for having shared this part of this journey through Witness together. As usual, I would like to remind everyone that in the show notes, there are the links to the Witness Wiki, where you can join the community in this incredible experiment of co-creation and put yourself with the world that is being created. Basically, be part of this big experiment that is Witness. Until next time, bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Are We Europe, a border-breaking media trying to bridge the gaps in European culture and identity. You can become an Are We Europe member and connect with storytellers across the continent starting at 4 euros per month. Just go to areweeurope.com slash member and help Are We Europe build a new media for a changing continent. <laughs>